and uh, we'll go ahead and get started. We praise the Lord because we have been in a fantastic study um, so far, and God has really been doing uh, some great, great, great things. Um, we've been in the book of at least six we've been in the uh, book of uh, Psalms. We've been in chapter twenty-seven. Um, we have been um, doing some really, really, really good things in there. God's been talking to us a lot in the book of Psalms, uh, chapter twenty-seven, and we learned a lot about the book of Psalms. We've learned that um, um, that in the book of Psalms, uh, they're meant to be used not just for singing, but they're also meant to be used. Um, for us in order to uh, to minister to one another. So many times when we use the book of Psalms or we use the Psalms, we pull out a Psalm, a lot of times the application of that Psalm um, really finds its use on the personal level, okay? So we are uh, more apt, if you will, to pull out a Psalm and we are, uh, and we, we will use it for our own situation, whatever's going on at the time, we will tend to pull out a psalm uh, for, uh, for that, okay? And, and there's nothing wrong with that, okay? There's nothing wrong with that, uh, with that at all, um, because we learned in the Word of God that they're for that. We're supposed to make melody in our heart with the psalms, okay? And, um, but we're also supposed to use them to edify our brothers and sisters. One thing we did say um, um, in uh, previous lessons is, is that not only are we supposed to minister um, to one another with the Psalms or edify as the scripture tells us in the New Testament with uh, one another with the Psalms, but we are supposed to do it with wisdom. And one of those things that we talked about when it comes to wisdom or the reason why wisdom is placed in there as a prerequisite uh, for ministering or edifying one another with the Psalms is because you and I are not supposed to just take a Psalm and just use it any kind of way. No, that's not what, um, what the Bible wants us to do. Now we are in Psalms 27 and what we're going to do here is, is that we're going to begin to, uh, read, uh, up to verse number four. So I want you to just, uh, kind of, um, go along with me here on that. And Psalms 27 verse number one starts out with the Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Amen. When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell, man. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me. In this will I be confident. And that's what we talked about last week. This week, we're going to get into, really get into verse number four. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that I that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Amen. Praise the Lord. 
So we're really going to dig into uh, verse number four, all right? And that verse number four tells us one thing, have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. When we last left off uh, in verse number three, we ended with on the note that, uh, that, that said, I'm gonna be confident. I can be confident, all right? I am absolutely going to be confident no matter what the situation is, no matter what the circumstance is, I'm going to be confident. Verse three ended with the war should rise against me. In this will I be confident. And we learned uh, we confident. And we learned that, you know, that war, um, you know, and uh, has to deal with uh, besiegement. It has to deal with hostile intentions. It has to deal with a state of armed conflict. Uh, between different uh, nations, but we also learned that war can also rise within your own ranks. So not only does war, when we think of the concept of war, this word war, all right, not only does it suggest or not only does it apply to uh, warring nations, all right, or warring states uh, uh, in the state of armed conflict, but it also applies more on the local level. So we can look at it on the national level, but when you start talking about war, it also applies on the local level. And this is one of those things that David was trying to get across in Psalms 27. With all of the information and all of the things that David has talked about, remember verse number two said, when the wicked, even my enemies and my foes came upon me to eat of my flesh, they stumble and they fail. He mentioned the wicked, he mentioned enemies, and he mentioned foes. And in previous lessons, we went into all of those different things. And now when you add on to that, verse number, uh, verse number three, and he begins to talk about not only the hosts encamping against him and in spite of war rising, David was really talking about the entire gambit. He was really talking about the entire spectrum of problems. And that is what is so heavy about Psalms 27. And it is also, brothers and sisters, a reason why you do not want to go too fast through Psalms 27 or any Psalm, really any scripture for that matter. If you move too fast, you're going to miss something. David was covering the entire spectrum of problems. He was talking about it from the angle of external, and he was talking about it from the, from the standpoint of internal. And he says here, and so when he says when war should rise against me, that war, when we start talking about it on the local level, the word that it brings to, me, to mind, or at least should bring to mind, is that of the word rebellion. Because what it refers to, okay, is are those that are under your command or under your leadership, all right? Those who are supposed to be on your team, those who are supposed to be in your camp, those who are supposed to be on your side. It, when we start talking about rebellion, right? Now we're walk, talking about those people who shouldn't be rising up. They should be in your corner. They should be with you. But for one reason or another, and usually it is because they have, they, 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 they're either they're deceived of the devil or they literally just have wicked intentions, okay? Or evildoer intentions, so to speak, all right? 
there are times where they rise up, those who are closest to you. It's always one thing where it's one thing to be, um, to have those who are external rise up against you. You can deal with that, okay? Because there's, because with them, there's no attachment, all right? And remember when we talked about encampment, all right, or host, we talked about people who are transitional, people who are in your life or come into your life for a season or for a moment, but in the context of the scripture, these uh, transitional or these people who are momentary in life, we talked about these individuals or these people, amen, that, um, that not only are they temporary, but although being temporary, they bring problems with them, okay? And sometimes that can happen. Well, those are people that are external, they're temporary, okay? They, they're, they're transitional. But sometimes the people that bring the problem are the people that are closest to you. Sometimes those people that are adding all of the drama and all of the stuff you don't need are the ones that are closest to you. And so when David brings in the concept of war, the war should rise against me in that B portion of verse number three of Psalms 27. When he brings in that phrase, the war should rise against me, he was referring also to the fact that or the reality that that resistance in your life can actually come from the people that are closest to you. There can be rebellion. There can be mutiny, things that happen up. And he says, and even though they should rise against me, and this is the, this is the beauty of it, all right? Even though it should rise against me or though people should rebel against me, okay? External or, or internal, doesn't matter what it is. If they should rise against me, David was saying that when people come that come from those everyday places of life, okay, the people and those people that are closest to me, when they decide to rebel against me from one uh, for one reason reason or another, or perhaps they decide to just straight on uh, besiege, which we learn means to uh, to take what to surround with the in, uh, with the intent of either forcing surrender or to take over um, that territory or that person. So we learn, um, um, or we learned what that means to capture that place. So we learned that that's what, uh, what, what it means to encamp. And though people rise with come around, maybe external or internal with these different agendas, all right? David was saying that though they rise up against me and, and yeah, maybe they do want what I have. He said, I'm going to hold to what I believe. Okay, and that is what was conveyed when we started talking about last week that being confident. Because he said at the end of that, he said, In this will I be confident, amen. And praise the Lord for that. Confidence means, or to be confident in the context of this scripture, literally means to uh to believe or to have faith, okay, or to put one's trust in something. And we further zeroed in and learned that the object of this confidence takes us all the way back to verse number one. Amen. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What was David confident about? What was it that he found in the midst of this that allowed him to be confident? Think about that for just a moment. What is it that he was holding on to 
that gave him the strength to be confident or to believe or to hold on to what he believed. Life will throw you at times for a loop. And life at times, and the enemy will try at times to rob you of those things that anchor you in life. The enemy and this world, and, and, and sometimes our own mind when it is unsettled, will threaten to rob us of peace that God said we could have. Amen. Remember, Jesus said, my peace. I leave with thee. My peace I give unto thee. We have a peace that comes from a source that is greater than anyone and anything else. But at times life and at times people and at times situations and, and at times because our hearts are unsettled, we are threatened with the removal of that peace. We, 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 we struggle with being confident. And David was saying that in spite of all of these pressures, in spite of all of the areas and the angles in which they may come from, I am going to be confident. But what was it that he was confident in? We said last week that it was verse number one. It takes us right back to verse number one. See, the, it's the fact that God is light that gave David confidence not just any light, but his light. Amen. It was the fact that the Lord was salvation, not just any kind of salvation, but his salvation. Look at verse number one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. David took these realities or these attributes of God, characteristics that belong uniquely to God, and he internalized them. He said, they are mine. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The strength or the confidence that David found, the strength to move on, the ability to persevere, where did it come from? It came from the fact that God was his light and was his salvation. And he didn't even stop there. He said, the Lord is the strength of my life. And you remember when we talked about strength or that phrase, that meant that God was a stronghold or a mountain stronghold. And that was uh, just, a, just a wonderful concept to, 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 um, to become privy to when we learned about that. The Lord is the strength of my life. He is my mountain stronghold. He is the fortress that is built uniquely around me, specifically around me. Psalms 34 tells us the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. He is the strength of my life. Not just any strength, but he is not just any type of um, deliverance, not just any type of power source, but he's more than just a power source I can tap into. He is more than just a supply of energy I can tap into, but God is literally my mountain stronghold. And we also learned that that also was from the physical persuasion or from the physical sense. So he was not just talking about 
God being his stronghold in the spiritual arena and in the mental arena, but in the physical arena as well. God is God in every situation. Enemy wants you wants to remove that truth from you. Life will threaten to remove that truth from you, but you have to be like David was, and you got to hold on in the midst of what comes up in the middle of those circumstances that you didn't ask for and that you really could do without. In the middle of that, you're gonna find your strength to move on and to stay stable, amen. When you realize and you can confess, like David confessed, the Lord is my life. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. Nevertheless, as we move into verse number four, we're building on this. And verse number four says, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. And we're going to dig into this and take it apart. And uh, we're going to get what God has uh, for us um, as we move into the word of God. Amen. Now, he says, one thing have I desired. Life must have goals that are seeded throughout. A life that you live has to have something or some things that you work towards. Amen. Amen. That's just... That is just the way it is. David said, one thing have I desired. And for those of you who remember, the very first slide added a question at the end. But is it worth it? Life must have goals or there must be goals that you have, things that you are working towards in this life. But not every goal Brothers and sisters, this morning is worthy. Not every goal is worth the effort. And the challenge that we find at times is making sure that we're not wasting our time. Now, I don't know about you, but I am one of those people who I, you know, I don't like my time being wasted. That's a, probably a, a pet peeve of mine, okay? When um, to, to, to go... Uh, a million miles in the wrong direction is to me just utterly insane. That to me is just ridiculous. To go, to put all of my effort, all of my energy, all everything, all of my strength into going the wrong direction or in the wrong direction. To me, that is one of the most uh, gross um, mismanagement of time and effort. And Brothers and sisters, I submit to you this morning that your time has to be important to you. Amen. Your, your time has to be, have some sort of value to you. And, and the reason why is because if time was a commodity or, or a, uh, or, or tenure that you could spend, that you, or a tender that you could spend, or if it was like money, then it, once it's gone, it's gone. You don't, you can't get it back. And because the nature of time is of such 
that once it is spent and it cannot be recovered, then it adds a level of urgency or importance to the use of that time. See, because I cannot get the time that I use back, amen, glory to God. Because I cannot get that time back once it's used, then it becomes all the more important how I use it. And goals are purposes, so to speak, or items of purpose in our life that require time. In order to have a goal, it doesn't matter what it is, a goal in order to achieve it is going to require the currency of time. It's going to take some time to some extent or to some degree or another in order to accomplish that goal. And so goals are important, and but more so than that, because it requires time in order to attain those goals, it becomes all the more important that the goal itself is worth the effort. If I'm getting ready to spend some time, that time, brothers and sisters, needs to be worth the effort of spending it. In other words, there need to be some kind of return on that. There needs to be something that I'm getting uh, from that. A lot of us are victimized by the misuse of our time. Why? Because we apply our time to misguided goals. There's nothing, nothing will waste your time faster than time spent on a frivolous goal. David said, one thing have I desired. And so I ask you today, those of you who are listening, do you have goals for life? Amen. For your life. Do you, do you have goals? Okay. What life goals have you created for yourself? What life goals have you created for your family? If God has blessed you um, with your family, if you're a head of a household, mom or dad, or, or it doesn't matter, maybe you're a grandparent or, or, or maybe you're an aunt or an uncle and, and you're doing the raising of, of children, do you have goals for the family? Are you just, are you just going, blowing through life? Are you just flying by the seat of your pants? Are you holding on for dear life? Or, or, but, or, or, do you or is there a plan? Do you have goals? Okay. What are your goals? And as we go through all that, I want you thinking about that because Psalms 27 verse number four challenges us in the area of goals. I told you it is a lot in this word of God and in these scriptures. And that is why we are taking our time with it. Psalms 27 and four challenges us in the area of our goals. Why? Because it brings to us, it brings front and center or brings us face to face with the concept or the characteristic of godly goals. Amen. There are characteristics that godly goals have. Now, there are many types of goals, but not all goals are, uh, are fall into the category of godly goals. Amen. Amen. And it doesn't, and that's not, then that's not to say that every single goal in your life needs to be a godly goal. No, 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 no. That's not what we're, that's not what we're saying. But those major things, there need to be some godly goals. 
but many of us think that we do have godly goals and and and, and but we can't figure out why we're struggling with them and i submit to you is because your goal is not as godly as you might have thought it was amen and psalms 27 and 4 begins to uncover the light of uh, the uncover the reality of what godly goals consist of we're able to use david as um you know as an example or as in a template that we can follow okay so what goals do you have do you have any goals all right have you created any goals um, for yourself and for your family now let's talk a little bit about these characteristics of godly goals from the perspective of psalms 27 and 4 all right w one characteristic that godly goals have and um and and this is true or, or needs to be true of general purpose goals or every other goal as well but the, it is especially uh necessary when you start talking about godly goals okay characteristics one of the characteristics of godly goals are is that they are focused okay godly goals need to be focused i hope you got your pen and paper and you guys are taking notes and that you're uh, writing this stuff down okay godly goals or characteristic of godly goals are that what they are focused a godly goal or a god-centered goal needs to be focused now when we say focus we mean you can substitute that word for specific okay godly goals should be specific they should be focused okay where do we get that from look at the scripture david said one thing have i desired note the language of the scripture one thing have i desired amen david didn't say seven things david didn't say three things david didn't even say two things david said one thing david said not a whole lot not a not a multitude but one singular thing one thing have i desired that word desired simply means to ask all right it means to request all right the hebrew word uh, behind that is sha'al all right um and it means to make a request or 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 it can also mean to demand something from somebody all right now because prayer often includes petition okay and petition simply means to request you're asking for something because prayer includes petition then this hebrew word shaal amen is sometimes used in the sense of praying for something amen amen david said it was one thing that i desired all right we can literally look at as saying it was one thing that i prayed for it was one thing that i asked god for not 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 a landslide of of all of these different things no 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 he didn't get into uh, all of that he did not get into all of that at all he said it was one thing that i desired amen one thing that i desired 
many times we run into problems with our goals because our goals are all over the place. In other words, we want everything. We want, we want everything. And yet sometimes we want everything at the same time. We want it all right now. We want everything to happen right now. It, God, it needs to be right now. God, I need this and I need that and I need all of this. And God, I want all of that and all of these different things. But a godly focused goal has to be specific, okay? It cannot be all over the place, amen. Look at 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, amen. Some of us run into problems when it comes to godly goals because we can't get together what we, what we actually want. What is, it, what is our actual goal? We're all over the place. But in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, the Bible says, and Elijah came uh, unto all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Elijah is getting ready to do battle with the prophets of Baal, Baal or and the and the prophets of the grove. He is getting it's a showdown getting ready to happen. See, at this point, Elijah's getting ready to uh, call down some fire from heaven. He's getting ready to exercise some some godly authority that has been has been given to him. And 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 for lack of a better way of putting it, and the sparks are getting ready to fly. God is, God's getting ready to drop some fire on some wicked folks like never before. But no, but prior to all of this, Elijah challenges the people. He says, how long halt ye between two opinions? Listen, your goals, brothers and sisters, you are never going to find any, you're never going to find the accomplishment of any of those goals. You're not going to get, you're not going to accomplish these goals. The longer you stay indecisive or unable to make up your mind about what it is that you actually want. Some people have a problem with goals because they don't really have a goal. They're halted between two opinions. Their mind is all over the place. And the word of God says in, in 1 Kings 18, 21, how long halt ye between two opinions? How long are you going to be stuck? How long are you going to be going, are you going to be in between one goal or one decision and another? Brothers and sisters, when you decide, when, as you're developing goals for your life and especially spiritual goals, your goals need to be specific. You cannot have everything. I'm going to say that again. You cannot have everything. Glory to God. And as long as you want everything, as long as you are stuck in between this and that and all of these different things, you got to understand, brothers and sisters, indecision, that lack of ability to make a decision, to come up with a clear goal or direction you are going in or that you're getting ready to go to God for. Amen. Indecision will always leave you 
at the starting line in life. You're going to always be in the starting line. You're going to always, you're going to look up 10 years later, five years later, one month later, four years later, doesn't matter. You pick a number, you plug it in. But as long as you are indecisive, as it concerns your goals, as long as you don't settle on a goal or a direction or whatever else it may be, or however you want to call it, you are going to remain in the starting line of that starting block of life. And you're going to look up at time that has marched on and you are still in the same place. So one characteristic is that they must be focused. Look at James uh, chapter uh, one. And I want you to look at, start at verse number six. Bible says this in James chapter one, verse six, going through verse eight. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Please highlight that. He don't even let that man think he's going to receive anything of the Lord. Verse eight, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. James is telling you, right? Why it will not work with having these goals that are conflicted or that you cannot decide on. Those, they just, they're, they're, they're just loose. They're, they're all over the board. And as long as you, and as long as you are halted between what it is that you want or that you're going after, you're going to remain at that starting line in life. Because in order to get it, you got to ask in faith and you can't have anything wavering, which is what James tells us here. The Bible goes as far as to tell you, don't even let that man think he's going to receive anything of the Lord. Why? Because a, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Goals suffer from double-mindedness. Why? Because as long as there are, it is, there is double-mindedness, goals cannot be set, not spiritual ones. Glory to God. You're not going to be able to do that without it. And, and, be, and, and, and to do so will result in you wasting time. Why? Because verse number seven said this in the book of James chapter one. Let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Because you conflicted, because you double-minded, because you are indecisive, God says you're not getting anything. So godly goals need to be focused. David said, one thing have I desired. Another characteristic, I want you to take a look at this because we just taking this apart. He said, one thing have I desired. Now I want you to notice the next phrase, of the Lord. Now, one characteristic is that they are focused. But another characteristic of godly goals is that they are sourced from God. What does that mean? Means you can't, you means that you got to go to God in order to get it. Means that it comes from God. The solution or the answer or the accomplishing of that goal comes from the Lord. 
godly goals must be fulfilled or accomplished through the Lord. David said this, one thing have I desired of the Lord. Notice the language. He didn't say of the world. Notice he didn't say of mama, dad, grandpa, this, that. No, he didn't say any of that. He said of the Lord. When he said of the Lord, he was revealing the source. He was, real, re, he was revealing the location or where you must go in order to accomplish or in order to get that goal. Godly goals must be sourced from God. You can't go to worldly means. You can't go to external sources. You got to go to God in order to get these things. Look at Psalms 121. Look at verse number two. Amen. Glory to God. Somebody says, my help cometh from the Lord, which made what? Heaven and earth. Help comes from the Lord. When I'm developing a godly goal, it needs to be specific. It cannot be all over the place because David said it was one thing that I have desired. It cannot be everything, all right? David said it was one thing. It was specific. It was focused on a particular thing, a, something that he wanted from God. He said, one thing have I desired. Desired, we said, meant to ask or it's to petition, all right? So it was one thing that he requested, and we request by way of prayer. Man, our help or our source, Psalms 121, tells us that it comes from the Lord. Songwriter said, my help cometh from the Lord. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6. Because Psalms 121 and 2 told us help comes from the Lord. But in order to get help from the Lord, we've got to go to God or go to the Lord in prayer. So you got to know where the help comes from, comes from God. Then you got to know where to go what, or what you have to do. You got to go to God. Philippians 4, 6 says this, be careful for nothing. But in everything, by what? Prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Notice the language of the scripture. With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Now I want you to understand something, the implication of this. He said your request, okay, when he said, first of all, be careful for nothing, that means don't delay. That means don't, don't, don't put off, okay? Don't, don't come up with reasons to not go to God, all right? Don't come up with reasons to try to accomplish this by some other means. He said, be careful for nothing. Don't, 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 don't delay. Don't neglect to go to God. Don't skip over this part or this thing. He said, but in everything, right, by prayer, and supplication. When he says by everything, that includes the things that you want and the things that you already have. And so when you go to God, you've got to go through prayer and supplication 
but the attitude has got to be that of an attitude of thankfulness. Because when you get ready to talk to God, when you get ready to request something of God, God is going to do a gratefulness check. Amen. In other words, you're asking me for something. But are you thankful for what you already have? Why is that important? Because if you are not thankful for what you already have, and then you go to God asking him for something new. Now, I want you to fo just follow it. If you're already unthankful, and then you go and ask God to give you something new, it is a high chance that when you get what he gives you or what you've requested, you're not going to be thankful for that either. And God wants you to be thankful. See, God want to know that you're going to praise him, that you're going to glorify him, that you're going to lift him up, that you're not going to just take the gift and take the blessing and go run, and then you're going to be incognito. Can't nobody find you at church. You ain't in Bible study. You ain't streaming the services. You're not doing any of those different things. And so many people, listen, cannot be blessed the way God wants to bless them. Because if God were to bless them the way he wants to bless them, they'll go run off and be in the wind somewhere. If you're already not thankful for what you already have, why should God even take a chance? Why should even God waste his time giving you something just for you to be further ungrateful? See, that's the way God, God thinks. That is, and so the word of God frames it perfectly. You got to come through with prayer and supplication, but it's got to be with thanksgiving. And it is in that framework of thanksgiving that you are able to make your request known to God. Amen. See, he don't, notice the word, make it known to God. That means to reveal it. So what the implication is, is that without thanksgiving, without thanksgiving, God simply does not acknowledge your request. When it's known to God, that means God acknowledges it. It means God sees it. It means God has grabbed it, okay? That don't mean that God has told you what he's getting ready to do. No, no, that has nothing to do with that. It means that God has accepted it. It means that God has acknowledged that, okay? It means that God has paid attention to it. When you come to God with the request and there is no thankfulness, that remains unknown. Not in the sense that God does not know that you have asked for something. He knows full well that you ask for something, but it simply means it's unknown in that God will not acknowledge it. Again, when it comes to goals, are you wasting your time? Is the thing that, you are, that, you're, that you're putting your effort in, is it even worth the effort? Are you going a thousand miles in the wrong direction? So we've got to go to God for help. Now I want you to look at Psalms 124. Psalms 124. I want you to look at verse number eight. Amen. To get help, we've got to go to God in prayer. We know that. But in addition to that, to get help, we've got to do it when we go to God. We ought to do it the right way. 
we've got to come in the name of Jesus. You got, you got, you got to do that. Psalms 128, 124, verse number eight, set, starts to set the stage. Our help is in what? The name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Why is that important? Because that means when we add the phrase who made heaven and earth, that means he got it all. That means that everything that you need, this is why that statement qualifies the, the declaration that our help is in the Lord. The writer made a declaration that my help, our help is in the name of the Lord. Amen. And because our help is in the name of the Lord, it is absolutely true. Why? Or it is absolutely valid. Or he is absolutely the one that is able to help. Why? Because he made heaven and earth. And he, because he made heaven and earth, that means he has everything. So if you need something, you got to go to the person or to the one that has it all. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Not only do you have to go to him, but there is a way that you have to go to him. It's in the name of the Lord. You've got to get it through the name of the Lord. I, you know, many Christians and many so-called Christians have a problem with the name, with the understanding the name uh, or the importance of using the name of the Lord. They want to, uh, for some people, it's because of years of religious study that has led them further away from God instead of closer to God. And for others, it's a variety of different reasons. There's that part within some people that says, I want to attain it on my own. I want to, I want to, I, I, I got to have my own strength. I got to put in some, I got to do something in order to get this on my own. Okay. Or I got to help. Um, I got to put in some kind of effort on my own. I got to accomplish this on my own, in my own way. Okay. Some people have that desire and that tendency that they want to do it themselves. Okay. And because they have that tendency or that desire to want to do it themselves, they, they fumble when it comes to using the name of the Lord. Because using the name of the Lord often becomes the last resort for those individuals when it should be the first thing that you go to. Listen, all of your blessings, all of the provisions, everything that God has for you, brothers and sisters, whether you realize it or not, it has been, it has been reserved for you under the name Jesus. And that is what the Bible is talking about. Psalms 124, 8 says, our help is in the name of the Lord. But then when you go to St. John or the Gospel of John and you look at verse 22 and you read down to verse 24, Bible says this, and, not, and ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice and your joy no, no man take it from you. Jesus in this scripture is darting, is comforting the disciples. Why? Because it won't be long before he's crucified at this point. And he's gotten, and, and, and he's preparing them. He's darting, he's giving them the last bit of instructions that they're going to need before the crucifixion 
or the work of the crucifixion begins to get underway in earnest. Okay, he's 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 got some things that he's got to share with them. It doesn't mean that he wasn't going to talk with them no more. He absolutely was, but for the time, but there were some things prior to the crucifixion that he had to get out and he knew that they were sad. And so he said, and ye now therefore have sorrow. Why? Because he's let them know that he's got to go at this point. But I want you to read on verse 23. And in that day, ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the father in my name, not your name, not somebody else's name, Whatever you shall ask the Father in my name. This is Jesus talking. He will give it you. Verse 24. Hitherto, up to, meaning up to this point, have you asked nothing in my name? While I was with you, up to this point, you didn't, you didn't have to pray and ask that. You didn't have to ask anything. You didn't have to use my name. Amen. You didn't have to do that up to this point. Okay? He said, hitherto, have you asked nothing in my name? But now he's but but now he's giving them a new directive. Ask. Up to this point, you didn't ask. But now, but going forward, but as we move forward, ask. Glory to God. And ye shall receive that your joy may be full. What does he want you to ask? It's revealed in verse 23. Ask in his name. That's the way he wants you to do it. He wants you to ask in his name. So not only do godly goals have to be focused, one thing have I desired, but godly goals also have to be sourced from God. It means you got to go to God. And when you go to God, and in order to go to God for those goals, for what it is that you want, in order to go to God, you got to go to God in prayer, through the avenue of prayer. When you show up, you need to have some thankfulness. You need to first be thankful for what you already have. And you need to be and and you need to be thankful for what God has already done. Amen. Because if you're getting ready to ask for something new, in addition to what God has already given you, if there is no thankfulness present and accounted for then there will be no acknowledgement of that request. And you need to keep that in mind. The quickest way to not get an answer to your prayer for something new, whatever it is, is to go to God and offer a request that is not built on the platform of thanksgiving. If there is no thanksgiving for the stuff that is prior that God has done prior, <laughs> God's not getting ready to waste his time on you just so you can be ungrateful and unthankful with this new thing. Learn to be grateful now. Now, the other characteristic of godly goals is, is that they require action or work on our part it means you got to do something notice the language of the scripture one thing have i desire of the lord that will i seek after glory to god that will i seek after that's action amen that's action you got to do something godly goals 
are not going to work. Godly goals don't allow for you to be a bump on the law. When you want something and you're developing those goals for the Lord, you listen, you can't develop those goals from a standpoint of laziness. That's not going to cut it. I can tell you that right now. If your goal is to get something from God and you already have an attitude that if you already, I'm just going to wait on God with, and, and, and do nothing at all. Now, when I say wait on God, you are able to even do something while you're waiting on God because there is a way that we wait on God. We wait in faith, okay? And, we begin, and faith has works that go along with it. So we, while we're waiting, we are doing the things of God. Look at Matthew 6, 33, all right? Bible says this, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Notice what he said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek, there's that word again. Amen. Seek ye first. You seek. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. What does that mean? That means do what God has prescribed or has outlined. That means you've got to follow what he's already revealed. You've got to follow, you've got to follow the instructions that God has already laid down. You cannot, godly goals cannot be accomplished without some effort on your part. Whether it is waiting in faith, it's operating, it doesn't matter. There is something that you will have to do in order to accomplish godly goals. True faith, because godly goals require faith. And true faith produces works. Look at James chapter 2, verse 26. For, for as the body without the spirit of dead is dead, look at this analogy that the apostles given. For as the body without the spirit is dead, my spirit ain't in my body. My body is going to be lifeless. I've got to have, my spirit has to be resident in this frame in order for that to, for there to be life. Verse 26, James 2. For it, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Got to have it. Got to have works that accompany faith. Why? Because true faith leads to godly works. Amen. Glory to God. Wow.